the what? Sound. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. We finally got the technology worked out, so we're ready to go. As I was saying, uh, Pastor Tom and Jennifer are in Georgia this weekend, enjoying some time on President, I think it's Parents Week uh, or weekend uh, there at school with Megan, and so we're happy to be able to fill in and be part of this with you. Uh, the announcements that uh, are have been sent to you on the uh, email, so you can read what most of those are. I just wanted to highlight two of them. One is that this is $5 Sunday. That's a Sunday each month when we each give $5 extra for missions. And it's uh, been a really blessing so far for so many of the missions, and we hope that you will uh, consider that uh, as well. You can designate your gift for $5 in the online giving platform under missions. And we certainly thank you for your generous offerings. And the only other one I have is to remind you that next week is uh, Spring Ahead Sunday. So if you uh, want to be here with us at the right time, you'll have to make sure that your clocks are set properly uh, as well. So with that in mind, then let's turn to what we have come to do here primarily today, and that is to worship uh, God. And we'll do that by uh, turning to page two of the order of service as we confess our sins and again hear the assurance of God for our forgiveness. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Let us then confess our sins to God our Father. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, and by what we have done, and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your presence and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us, forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. In the mercy of Almighty God, Jesus Christ was given to die for us, and for his sake forgives all your sins. To those who believe in Jesus Christ, he gives the power to become the children of God, and bestows on them the Holy Spirit. May the Lord who has begun this good work in us bring it to completion in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, so often we are confused. We really don't know the right thing to do. We, we don't know the right decision to make. On our own, we kind of flounder around and, and uh, in many cases, just do nothing. So today, Lord, we come before you and as we open your word and, and listen to everything that you have to tell us, we ask that you send your Holy Spirit as well to open our hearts and minds to be able not only to know what we should be doing in our lives, but most of all, to know you as our Lord and Savior who came to give your life on the cross for us. Teach us, Lord. Help us to know you and all it is that you would have us understand. We ask it all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The responsive psalm is found on page four of the order of service. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The freedom of the Lord is our right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the This is the word of the Lord. Our first reading today is from the epistle lesson, which is actually also the text for our message this morning, written in the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians, beginning in the first verse, beginning at the first chapter, excuse me, beginning at the 18th verse. Here's what Paul writes. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and, and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. 
Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. And the Holy Gospel for this morning is written in the Gospel of St. John, the second chapter, beginning at the 13th verse. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. Making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it, was take, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is the gospel of the Lord. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Where you move, I'll move. I will follow you. All your ways are good. All your ways are sure. I will trust in you. In you, the 
morning I'm going to begin with a question. True or false? The statement, God helps those who help themselves, comes from the Bible. Now before you answer, I just want to report that George Barnar, who does a lot of polling of opinions regarding Christian issues, found that 52% of the American Christians who were polled uh, said that the answer is true. That God helps them who help themselves is found in the Bible. Now, if you agree with those 52% of the American Christians, you would be wrong. The statement does not come from the Bible. In fact, it contradicts what the Bible does teach. You see, Paul in our text today talks about wisdom, and, and what he's doing is writing to the church at Corinth. It's a city in Greece that had uh, a mixture of ethnic groups within it. There were many Gentiles, uh, people who had been uh, raised in the uh, Greco-Roman culture and, and who uh, had been schooled under the uh, uh, Greek philosophy. Now, Greek philosophers taught that uh, uh, what you needed in life was wisdom. Wisdom to know the difference between right and wrong, and of course, they were the ones who determined what was right and wrong. But see, by having wisdom, you would be able to live ethical, moral lives and therefore be a credit to society. The church in Corinth also had another major ethnic group, and that would be the Jews. And the Jewish people, of course, were people who had uh, been schooled not by philosophers, but by rabbis and, and by uh, um, uh, scribes. And Paul calls them experts in the law of Moses. And these teachers of the law were not so much interested in teaching wisdom. Wh what they taught was if you keep the law of Moses, then God will bless you. You will be able to harness the power of God into your life, and he will give you riches. He will give you good health. He will give you respect among your fellow citizens. And so Paul is really addressing both the, the Greek philosophers and the Hebrew teachers of the law. And what he's saying basically is that both of them are wrong. <coughs> Why? because both of them basically are teaching that God helps those who help themselves. So what's Paul's problem with this kind of teaching? Well, actually, uh, there are many troubling questions that are raised by these, uh, uh, this kind of a philosophy or theology. For example, if God blesses only the wise and strong, what hope is there for the unintelligent and weak? Or, if the wise and strong are blessed by God because of their own efforts, and the unintelligent and weak are being cursed for their bad choices, why should any blessed person squander his resources on someone who is less deserving? Or, if the wise and strong assume the exclusive right to speak for God, why would they ever speak a word from God that inconveniences themselves and helps people with whom they disagree. Or, if the wise and strong are favored by God, are 
in unintelligent and weak people to be excluded from religious communities? Now, these are just a few of the troubling uh, questions, but Paul must have been asking questions like this. What happens to the weak and unintelligent if, this, if God is only interested in the wise and the strong? And of course, Paul could also uh, take a look at history and see what God had been doing over history, and that would certainly raise some troubling questions as well. For example, why did God choose as his special people foreign slaves in the powerful nation of Egypt? Or why did God call Moses, a lowly shepherd with dubious speaking skills, to confront the most powerful leader in Egypt and demand that he release God's people from slavery? Or why did God choose David, another shepherd boy whose own father questioned his leadership skills, to defeat Goliath and become the greatest king of Israel? Or, why did God raise up more than a dozen otherwise uninfluential prophets to challenge the authority and decisions of the most powerful leaders of their day? And finally, why did God choose an infant born in a manger in a small town of Bethlehem to become the savior of the world? Does this sound like a God who cares only about the wise and the strong? Furthermore, Paul was able to look at uh, uh, human nature and see how clearly human nature is inherently sinful, not capable of doing such good and powerfully, uh, powerfully good things. For example, as a former Pharisee, Paul would be aware of some of the Old Testament passages, like Ecclesiastes 7.20. For there is not a just man upon earth that does good and sins not. Or Isaiah 64.5. But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. Paul was so convinced of this sinful human nature that he himself wrote in Romans 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in Ephesians 2, 1, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You see, what Paul was concluding all of this questions that were raised by this self help kind of a theology and philosophy is that God thinks differently than human beings do. That God not only thinks differently, but God uses that different wisdom to shame what we would call human wisdom. Here's what he says in uh, 1 Corinthians, part of our text, 1 Corinthians 27 and 28. But God chose what the world thinks foolish to shame the wise, and God chose what the world thinks weak to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, what is regarded as nothing, to set aside what is regarded as something. Y you see, what, what Paul is trying to tell us is how God thinks so differently. Human wisdom and uh, worldly wisdom would, would say, well, you know what, God wants to help you help yourself. God is into self-help so that you can become an achiever. But God's wisdom says, no, God is there to save those who cannot save themselves. Famous preacher once put it this way, God helps those who cannot help themselves. So how does God do that? How does God save people who cannot save themselves? Paul writes about that also in the second chapter of Ephesians when he specifically articulates how God saves people. We look at verses 4 and 5 of Ephesians 2. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. 
It is by God's grace you have been saved. And then he moves on in just a few verses later, verses 8 and 9, to explain even more fully what that grace looks like. When he writes, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. That's why we like to, like to boast, as it were, that we are saved by grace through faith because of Christ. And one of the first things, in fact, the first thing that that gift of faith does is it moves us to repentance and to trust God for his forgiveness. That, that response of, of repentance and forgiveness then moves us into a proper relationship with God. You, you know, the problem with sin, one of the many problems with sin, but one of the biggest ones is that uh, the very nature of sin is to want to choose our wisdom in, instead of God's. We go back to the original sin, if you will, of Adam and Eve in the garden. Remember, they chose to eat that fruit, but, but w what's important is how God tells us why they ate that fruit. Genesis 3, verse 5, we read, and, and this is in quotes, they wanted to be like God, knowing good and evil. I, it was a knowledge thing. I, they wanted to be like God. They didn't want to be under God. They wanted to be like God. They wanted to make up what's right and wrong for themselves. They wanted to be their own gods. And isn't that the nature of sin, it, it, our sin as well? What, when we basically are saying to God, we don't want your wisdom. We want to set our own way of thinking. We want to determine what's right and wrong. Or we'll adopt the world's, but not yours, God. We don't want that. And because of that, we fall into sin. And, and what repentance and forgiveness does is it puts us back again in that relationship with God where we are under God where we depend upon him for his wisdom to teach us how we should live and then when we fail, to depend on him for the forgiveness we need to be able to continue and go on with our lives. The other thing that faith does by giving us repentance and forgiveness is it restores our relationships with one another as well. You see, when if you're going to adopt a uh, self-help kind of philosophy I in focusing on achievement, what you're probably going to end up doing is viewing people on three levels. Those people who are more successful than you, you're going to be looking up and, and admiring them. And those people that are about as successful as you, you look around and kind of acknowledge them. And, and those people that uh, succeed less than you, you'll probably look down at them and not have a lot of respect for them. But you see what repentance and forgiveness does is, is it brings us to the point, it kind of puts us all on the same level, right? You're a sinner just as I am. You're no better, you're no worse. I'm no better, I'm no worse. We're sinners, all saved by the grace of God all saved because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. And, and see, that frees us up. I no longer have to help myself. What am I helping myself for? I've already been saved. Now I can take the blessings God has and, and I can use them to help others. Now I can weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, as the Bible says. I can uh, do good and, and pray for those who persecute me. I can even love my enemies, <laughs> as difficult as that is. And you say, but I can't. I've tried that. I, I, I fail so often when I do those things. That, that is such a high bar, God says, and he does. But that's why we cherish the forgiveness of sin so much. Because when we fail to achieve God's high bar, what does he do? He forgives us again and frees us to be able to go on and to try again to start our lives over each and every day to be able to live those lives again to the glory of God. Throughout my career, I did a lot of pastoral counseling. People would come with their issues and we would talk about them. And I had read a lot of things in psychology and, and counseling, but 
I never considered myself that because I really wasn't trained. I was a pastoral counselor. And so what I did is I would listen and try to understand what the person was saying. And then I would try to use God's wisdom in the scriptures to help them see, sort out exactly uh, what the issues are in terms of their relationship with God. And then I always made sure that I would uh, uh, proclaim the gospel, speak to them about God's love for them, despite what they were dealing with or going through in their lives. And as I uh, uh, did that, people would come and after a couple of sessions would say, you know, this has helped me more than all of the psychological counseling that I've had. And that bothered me at first. I wondered why. I'm not trained in any of this stuff. And I thought and prayed about it, and, and finally when it came, I, I finally realized it had nothing to do with me. It wasn't anything I was doing. It was the gospel. It was the good news. You see, psychology has its limits. It's, it's fine, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not criticizing it. It, it, it is fine, and people who have psychological uh, uh, disturbances should be uh, able, I recommend it. I even referred people to psychologists. But psychology can only go so far. Psychology uses human wisdom to speak to the mind and speak to the emotions of a person. The gospel goes deeper. The gospel speaks not only to people's minds and emotions, it speaks to their very soul. And so, uh, as an example, a psychologist can say to a person, I know that other people, you feel that other people don't love you and and, uh, uh, but you always can love yourself. But what happens when the person comes back and says, I know, but I've tried. I've tried over and over again. I can't even love myself. You see, at that point, psychology has nothing more to say. But that's the point. Whereas Christian counselors, as pastoral counselors, we can look the person in the eye and we can say, I know that you feel abandoned by others and unloved, and, and I know that you're even having difficulty loving yourself. But I'm here to tell you, God loves you. And he gave his son on the cross to die for you. And I, as a Christian and pastor, love you too in Jesus Christ. Now, Worldly wisdom would call that a lot of foolishness. But you know what Paul calls it? But to those who are called, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. When you really come down to it, the whole notion of, of uh, uh, God helping people who help themselves is itself foolishness. For two reasons. One is because you're responsible for everything you think, say, and do. So how can you help yourself? Anything you say and do is your own responsibility anyway. But the other even more important reason is God doesn't help people. He saves them. And he gives them blessings so that not having to save themselves or even help themselves anymore, each of us is able to reach out and help one another. So brothers and sisters in Christ, let's continue to thank and praise God that he has saved us in Jesus Christ so that we no longer have to help ourselves. And he's blessed us with so many blessings so that we now are able to reach out and help one another. And who knows? <laughs> Maybe by doing so, we might even help some of those who think we're foolish to wise up. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. We continue now on page nine of the order of service. Excuse me, I was wrong. We're on eight, page eight of the order of service. I am wrong again. We're on page seven 
of the order of service, so I finally got it right. Uh, we're going to be continuing now with the Apostles' Creed. Please join me as we say it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He was suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray for the whole people of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. O Lord, our God, you have given us the gift of faith in Christ Jesus, who is for us wisdom made flesh. May we continue to trust him that through repentance and faith, we may ever worship you in spirit and truth and serve one another in love and peace. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Heavenly Father, preserve and bless all Christian households that husbands and wives would live in love and service to each other, that fathers and mothers would diligently bring up their children in the wisdom of faith, and that children would honor their parents and grow in service to others. Lord, in your mercy. O Lord, whose kingdom is one of truth and justice, guide all who are in authority among us to govern according to your wisdom, that your gifts of justice and peace may be known throughout the world, Lord, in your mercy. O God, source of all compassion and love, be present with all who suffer, especially those on our hearts and minds at this time, including Marie Steyer, the mother of Donald, who is in Dallas Memorial Hospital today, and all others who continue on our hearts and minds. Bless them with faith, comfort, endurance, and hope as we continue ministering to them in your name. Lord, in your mercy. O oh Lord, you bless this day and make it holy with your word and the gifts of your, of your holy sacrament. Grant that coming before you in repentance and faith, we may again by your grace receive the forgiveness of sins and the assurance of life everlasting. Lord, in your mercy. All these things and whatever else you know that we need, grant, Lord. Father, for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again and now lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Now we continue with the service of the sacrament. Uh, continuing on page 8 of the order of service. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Now, if you would take the bread and wine that uh, you have prepared 
Uh, we are now going to be uh, speaking the words of institution and uh, shortly receiving the body and blood of our Lord. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now as we take the bread, take indeed the body of Christ given for you. Take and drink the blood of Christ shed for you. And now may this, the true body and blood of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen and preserve you in the true faith to life everlasting go in peace. Amen. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here. I find my rest And without you I fall apart You're the one That guides my heart Lord, I need you my song to rise to you when temptation comes my way and when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus 
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have taught us again with your wisdom and empowered us again by the forgiveness of sins to know that we no longer have to help ourselves, for we have been saved by Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we pray now that you will go with us as we leave this gathering and as we go out into our lives again this week. That you'll send your Holy Spirit so that not having to help ourselves, we can be empowered to reach out and be of service to one another. And we pray that as we do that, we do it not for any credit that we will receive, but so that you who saved us in Christ may receive the glory. We pray it all in his precious name, amen. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless and keep you now and forevermore. Amen. amen.